Uh, Brian tells me that as a church, collectively, you've been um, involved in 40 days of prayer. And as I understand how he's described that to me, uh, that isn't just 40 days of you telling God what's on your mind. Um, that's 40 days of attempting to listen to see what's on God's as well. Uh, and so it was that theme of kind of listening and hearing and discerning that Brian asked me to speak into today. Uh, and um, it's probably feedback I'd get a lot if everyone was honest with me, but he told me to keep it short. Um, <laughs> uh, mainly because he wants uh, to open up an opportunity for Murray to lead you in a time where you can talk about the things that you have been hearing. Um, or if you want to say it in a more humble way that you think you've been hearing, it's okay to say that out loud, um, either as part of the 40 days of prayer that you've been in or over the course of today. So that'll be um, after I finish. Murray will facilitate that after a little bit of worship. Um, most of my best thoughts are borrowed from Jesus. So at the risk of um, repeating something that Haley's already done, I'm going to read those first few verses of John 10 again, because if you ask me um, what frames up my own approach to um, knowing the voice of God, hearing the voice of God and following the voice of God, my answer predictably, um, like whose birthday is it in 26 days, is Jesus. Um, so let me uh, rip off some of his gear for a moment. John 10 uh, starts this way. It says, Very truly, I tell you, Anyone who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. Um, in context, that's a surprisingly spiky thing for Jesus to say. If you, uh, if you can carve out, I don't know, it'll probably take you 40 minutes to read John 9 and John 10 together as a bracket this afternoon, do yourselves a favour. Because uh, in John 9, Jesus heals a man who was born blind but does so apparently in the eyes of the religious rule-keeping folk on the wrong day. It's the Sabbath. Uh, and all of a sudden, initially, the man born blind gets into a lot of trouble. Um, and then at the end of... He was a hoot, by the way. Uh, at the end of an amazingly hilarious conversation, conversation between him and the Pharisees. The Pharisees seem like they come and hunt Jesus down and have a, a conversation with him about how naughty it was for him to heal a man born blind on the wrong day. Uh, and Jesus then is entering into this conversation about religion versus grace, about rule keeping versus the giving of life. Uh, and this comment then about people um, being thieves and bandits and not entering the sheepfold by the gate but climbing over the fence um, in context is obviously aimed at the Pharisees. <laughs> Um, so Jesus is perfectly happy to say, let the children come to me and talk about peace. He's also happy to say a pretty straightforward sentence to a bunch of people who won't hear anything less straightforward. Uh, so let me pick it back up again. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, but they'll run away from him because they don't know the voice of a stranger. <laughs> and I know that what Jesus is saying here is factually accurate because my mother-in-law lives on a farm. Um, more accurately, she lives on 120 acres and they run Dorper sheep. Uh, and I've seen them, what happens when I walk towards the Dorper sheep, they all bolt into the distance. And I've seen what happens when Mayo walks towards them, particularly the ones who've been orphaned during lambing or rejected by their mums. Those ones, when she talks to them, come to her. Because <laughs> they know her voice. 
So if I think of sheep as these incredibly foolish animals, they're, they're not the brightest ones in the shed. I won't want them doing heart surgery on me anytime soon, but uh, they are capable of doing exactly what Jesus says here, which is learning the voice of someone who loves them and is trustworthy and is present in their needs. It's, it's a cool little saying. Uh, so um, Jesus is confronted by this formulaic engagement with doing the right thing. Don't do anything on the Sabbath, rest, uh, versus if you see a person who's blind and needs healing, do it and worry about what day it is later on. <laughs> uh, so he's challenging this formulaic engagement with doing the right thing by inviting people into a dynamic engagement with himself. It's, it's a complete shift in what has become normal in the, in the culture that he's in. Um, both he and the Pharisees, we might also say both grace and religion, have a priority on knowing and hearing and doing, but the priority of the Pharisees and the priority of religion is on knowing, hearing and following the rules. Whereas the priority of Jesus is on knowing, hearing and following him. Um, which kind of sucks a little bit because we all know how to follow rules and none of us are all that good at following people. <laughs> we, we know how to follow rules. You just, you just pick what the rule book is. Um, you appoint some experts who tell you what the tricky bits mean and then you just do all that. Uh, which even as I say that out loud as a sentence troubles me uh, for some parts of what happens even when we're in good-hearted churches. We all know how to follow rules. You pick a rule book, you put some experts in charge of telling you what the tricky bits are and you just do that. Um, following someone who is present with you and discernible to you only through some kind of mystic union with something called his spirit. <laughs> no one taught me that in kindergarten. <laughs> that's, that's a whole different gig. Uh, but that is historically orthodox Christian faith that we become participants in the divine nature and in some strange way that's incredibly hard to describe to someone who hasn't already experienced it and occasionally hard to describe to people who have experienced it, uh, we can know and hear and respond to the voice of Jesus. Um, so um, how does that work for me? I don't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I can tell you the five steps for how you know, hear and follow Jesus' voice for you. I'm going to let you work that out for yourself because you're the co-creator of your own discipleship. You and Jesus are working that out. Um, I can tell you how I've co-created my discipleship with him around this, if that's at all interesting to you, though. Um, so when it comes to knowing his voice, the reality is I don't sit around waiting for 98% certainty that I have accurately recognised his voice before I start paying attention to it and potentially responding. One of the um, convictions of my life is that the Holy Spirit finds it much easier to work with bodies in motion than bodies that are inert. Um, so my priority, if I think I've recognised Jesus' voice, is to pursue it um, until it seems obvious that I have misheard it. Uh, one of the ways that I feel comfortable doing that is I think I've become familiar with the kinds of things he's likely to say. Um, I've become familiar with the kinds of things he's likely to say by doing something really easy. I just read the Gospels a lot. <laughs> um, it just turns out that if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John often enough, um, the, the kinds of things that Jesus say just become, oh yeah, it's totally the kind of thing he would say. 
and, and I can understand why and what outcome he was trying to produce when he said it. So if you read John 10 and you drop down just a little tiny bit from what Haley read to us before and then I rather repetitively read again, um, we see this in chapters, uh, in verse 7, it says, Very truly I tell you, uh, I am the gate for the sheep. So he picks up this metaphor about shepherds and sheep and gates and all this stuff and he, he positions himself at this point as the gate. Uh, and he says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are, th are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. You're all nodding like you knew that that's how that sentence was going to go. I did not know that's how that sentence went until I started reading it really, really carefully this week. I thought the sentence said, all who enter by the gate come in, full stop. But it doesn't. What Jesus says is, whoever enters by me will be saved. Bang, that's good news. And then after they've been saved, Jesus says this, uh, they will come in and go out and find pasture. They'll come in, they'll go out, they'll find pasture. He's, he's painting this, this framework of freedom and flourishing. And it stands wildly in the face of what the Pharisees have just been arguing about, which is about restricting and diminishing. They want a guy to stay blind for an extra day because it's the Sabbath. Jesus says, no, enter by me, you'll be saved, you'll come in, you'll go out, you'll find pasture. Uh, and so for me, if I think I'm hearing something and it might be Jesus, one thing I can do is I say, well, is this a word that's grounded in freedom and likely to produce flourishing or is this something that's restrictive and diminishing? If it's freedom and flourishing, then I'm going to keep listening. If it's restrictive and diminishing, it's probably not Jesus and I'll probably move on from it. Uh, he goes on to say the very next sentence, uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. So again, uh, if something starts to form in my mind, if something catches in my spirit, uh, if it's the kind of thing that seems like it will create abounding life, if it seems like it's the kind of thing where if I did that, someone else would actually experience the presence of heaven's life in them and for them. If it's something like that, then I say, yeah, it's probably Jesus. On the other hand, if it's something that's likely to have the effect of stealing or killing or destroying, I'm just going to step away from that thing. <laughs> no matter how religiously correct it might seem to say it out loud. Uh, more than that, I have, and this is my own personal bias, I'm not setting it up as a universal rule, but if it's helpful for you, you're welcome to pinch it. Um, I've found uh, what Jesus says at the beginning of Matthew 5, what we often talk about is the Beatitudes, and what Jesus uh, says in his first public words of ministry in Luke 4, super helpful for becoming familiar with the kinds of things he's likely to say. Uh, so I learn from the Beatitudes that if I hear something, if something forms in my mind or catches in my spirit, and it seems like it would be something that would be comforting for someone who was mourning, or it seems like it's the sort of thing that if someone did that, the meek might finally get a bit more of their inheritance on the earth, or, or if the thought that's forming for me is something like it would make more peace in the world if that happens, or if the thing that catches in my spirit seems like it might be an encouragement to someone who's being persecuted, that they will inherit the kingdom of God, uh, I'll just I'll, I'll pay attention. 
Uh, equally from Luke 4, if it seems like the thing that's forming in my mind or catching in my spirit is likely to be good news for the poor or it's likely to have caused someone who wasn't seeing the circumstances in their life as they really are to see them more clearly or it's going to help someone who's oppressed or imprisoned be more free, then I'll pay attention because they're the kinds of things that Jesus says. Uh, that's, that's honestly just pretty much my entire framework for knowing Jesus' voice. Um, hearing his voice, I think, is probably the most subjective thing that happens inside Christendom. Uh, I think we all hear him differently. Um, the phrase that I've used a couple of times about something forming in my mind or catching in my spirit, that is my best description of what I mean when I say I'm hearing Jesus. There's, just, there's, there's a, a thing that comes to mind or something that happens in my, in my spirit that just makes me feel like it's really important. And I'll go, oh, I've got to stop and, and, and sit with this a bit more. Uh, I find that happens for me unusually easily when I'm in worship. So COVID has been a disaster for me. Uh, uh, turns out you can worship on your own, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but it, I, I find that when I'm in worship or when I'm already praying for someone, I'm far more likely to hear from Jesus than if I'm not doing those things. Uh, I find as well, and this is one of the ways that I think he's super kind, um, I'm almost 50 and so I need to keep my weight down and I walk a bit. Turns out I hear Jesus really, really easily when I'm walking because I'm finally not distracted by a million other things. <laughs> Uh, I find that if I'm in some building that's got beautiful architecture or if I'm in some bit of creation that catches my eye, I find it unusually easy to have thoughts form in my mind and things catch in my spirit. That's how it works for me. Um, I know from watching Dan Cattell that um, he gets words, sentences, um, in the middle of leading you in worship uh, and he sings them. That seems to me, knowing Dan a little bit, as though, as though that's one of the ways that he hears Jesus. My wife um, is wildly creative, um, much more drawn to imagery than me, and so she gets a lot of dreams. And she's really purposeful in writing down every dream she remembers and then coming back to it and working out whether there's some kind of meaning that ought to be attached to it or not. Um, I don't get images a lot coming to mind. I do get it a bit. And when I get images coming to mind, pictures forming, I tend to get it while I'm already praying for someone. Um, any of those kind of activation exercises that people ever do where they're trying to help you, um, you know, see pictures, not one of them has ever worked for me ever. Um, the only time I will ever get a picture is when I'm already praying for someone and I'm not trying to get one. <laughs> um, so if that makes you feel any better, um, we're all in it together. <laughs> Um, knowing, hearing, um, and, and following. The following bit, the only thing I really want to say is for me, I've, I've made a decision that I'm going to start following before I know where I'm going. I feel super happy about doing that um, because in Hebrews 11, um, the, whoever on earth wrote the letter to the Hebrews says that Abraham had credited to him as righteousness, that he packed his tent and started walking even though he had no clue where he was heading to. That, that is the oldest possible description of faith in Yahweh. <laughs> uh, so um, I will start describing a picture that's in my mind, not having any clue where on earth this conversation is going, um, because I just trust that if this is in fact Jesus speaking, he'll guide the conversation himself by his spirit. That can be nerve-wracking, I'll tell you I'll tell you the truth. Um, one of the things that I've done because um, I don't want to die and not having 
got to the really wilderness ends of Christian faith. So every now and then I do something just because I've never done it before. And I've got some friends who for about 15 years have gone into a, um, a New Age festival to go and find Jesus present already there um, and help people who are in those festivals discover Jesus already present in their lives. Uh, and because they're in a New Age festival, they've tried to do it in a way that fits with the context that they're in. Um, and so I'm going to have to drink more of that before I lie it down. If you're recording this, me spilling my drink on the lectern will be on the internet forever. Uh, <laughs> and so they, they have like a menu and people can come and they can say, well, what's on the menu? Or what's on the menu is um, you can ask us for a spiritual blessing, you can ask us for supernatural healing, you can ask us for dream interpretation, or you can ask us for a supernatural encounter. They're the four things that are on the menu. They're precisely the sort of things that a person who's at a New Age festival um, might want to order. Um, and they're also things that if you read through scripture, you'll find every single one of them spread from the beginning of Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation 22. Um, we've just found a way of talking about it that sounds a bit unusual um, to people who are part of churches. <laughs> um, but what happens then is a person goes, that sounds great. Um, I'd like dream interpretation. <sighs> well, I, don't know how, I, don't, I literally don't know how to interpret a dream. Um, I just have to trust that Holy Spirit knows how to interpret a dream and that if he wants me to do it, he'll help me to do that in the moment where someone asks me for that. Um, people will say, well, I want a supernatural encounter. Well, I've never met you. I don't know what kind of supernatural encounter you want. Um, I guess what I'm supposed to do now is start praying and see where it goes. Uh, and so we were sitting with one lady and she'd come to us particularly talking about being worried and having pain in her body and just wanting a, a supernatural encounter in that context. And... Um, the person that I was with got this picture come to mind. So can we, we just need to dial some of the language around this down a lot to make it safe. <laughs> um, she didn't say, thus saith the Lord. She didn't say, here's what you have to do. She just says, look, just while we're here, so this picture come to mind and the picture that I'm getting is blah, blah, blah. Does that, does, I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but yeah, I just really feel like that's what the, the spirit of Christ has to give to you now. And the picture was a picture about this woman being in a garden and, and taking hold of a flower. And for whatever reason, it seemed like it was really emotionally resonant for this woman. It seemed to land. I, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, she responded positively to it. And because of the setting that we were in, I had a real conviction that I wanted people to, to get a takeaway, something that when they left the festival, they could go, oh, if I want to go back to that, that spirit of Christ thing again, I've, I've got something I can use. And so I just said to her, um, just that, pic that picture that you got a minute ago, I just think there's something significant in that. And if you ever find that you want to ask um, the spirit of Christ into your day or your life, just bring that picture back to mind, you holding that flower and trust that he will come and he'll you know, re-enter your life and, and be present with you. And um, to my astonishment, um, she just starts saying, spirit of Christ, um, I invite you into my life. Um, and just praise this like full bore, completely untrained prayer in the most bizarre environment I've ever had someone praying a prayer like that with me in. Um, simply because this friend of mine had some vague sense that Jesus gave her a picture to share and it landed well enough for this woman for reasons I can't explain um, that when she was offered the opportunity to lay hold of the spirit of Christ whenever she wanted to, she said, I'm doing that now. That's, that's Hebrews 11, Abraham setting out, not knowing where he's going. Uh, so that's my shtick. Um, <laughs> I hope some of that's helpful. I'm happy to, to chat through any of it um, afterwards if that's helpful as well. But otherwise, I should shut up.
high people on the screen. Um, so there's enough time for some worship and then for Murray to lead you in some stuff. Thanks, guys. You've been super kind.